Live from WNUR News, I'm Jessica Watts. You're listening to the 6 o'clock news on WNUR 89.3 FM slash HD1 Evanston, Chicago. It's Monday, October 9th. Tonight on WNUR News, Northwestern's game-changing point system, sex education in real life and on TV, leaving the nest, NU juniors adjust to off-campus life, and the B-list. Those stories coming up tonight on WNUR News at 6. Thanks for tuning in. A new point system has been introduced for Northwestern sporting events. What is it, and how do the students and athletes feel about it? I have the scoop. On Tuesday, September 12th, Wildside, Northwestern Student Fan Organization, announced a new point system for students in order to secure tickets for basketball games this upcoming season. Since then, Northwestern Athletics has seen a major growth in attendance at sporting events. I spoke with Kayla Cohen, the president of Wildside, about the new system. So just to start it off, the point system is implemented by Athletics, not Wildside. So while Wildside is the student section and is going to be affected by this point system, um, the cause of it, the implementation of it is all done by Northwestern Athletics. Um, what the point system is, it's like a meritocracy-based point system, similar to the ones you can find at other schools. What does this point system look like? Like Kayla mentioned, it is a meritocracy-based point system. As students attend games, they will scan their wild card in order to earn a given amount of points for every home game. Women's basketball is worth five points. Olympic sports are four points. Football and men's non-conference basketball are worth three points, and conference men's basketball games are one point. These points will be used to determine a student's claim window for men's basketball tickets. We've been wanting to implement it for a while. Before this crazy basketball demand, even my freshman year, um, there were games where students were turned away because we were out of student seats. And in those kind of games where you have that much enthusiasm, there's an opportunity to promote other sports and promote um, engagement there. And I think that's kind of why the point system This rise in Northwestern men's basketball popularity includes the highest student attendance in program history. During their 22-23 season game against Rutgers, 1,511 students packed Welsh Ryan Arena. A new ticketing system was created for students during the 22-23 season as many were beginning to be turned away at the door due to lack of room in the student section. This ticketing system, however, was on a first-come, first-served basis. A link to secure tickets was sent to students' emails and only so many tickets were available. Sophomore Chelsea Ogbona is one of the many students that had a hard time getting to games. At first, it wasn't that hard to get tickets for the basketball game. However, as we became more popular and we started winning more games, it was like a lot more harder to get into the games. It was stressful, but it kind of had the school spirit of like everyone coming to show up to like support our basketball players. Although it was hard to get there, fans showed up loud and proud. Wildside Social Media Chair Dylan Friedland expects a similar environment during this year's basketball season. 
Like I'm almost expecting a better environment this year because I think you have the incoming freshman class as well who's even more hyped up about it. We've seen the attendance at some of these other games already, partially because of this point system and how excited people are to have the chance at getting these basketball tickets. But I think if they're putting in all this work to go and get these points for these basketball tickets, they're going to want to show up at these games. They're going to want to be loud and they're going to want to be even more excited. It's safe to say that expectations are high for this year's basketball team, as students have been showing up to other games to secure their chance to get tickets due to the new point system. On September 22nd, another record was broken. 1,746 students showed up for the Northwestern Volleyball match against Wisconsin, the largest student crowd to ever witness an athletic event in Welsh Ryan Arena. I spoke to sophomore volleyball player Kennedy Hill about this achievement. It's been such a joy. Like, I love how energetic everybody, like, people don't just come, like, they come and cheer and, like, they do chants. And, and you, Wildside, has been so good about that, the student section. So, um, I think all of us are just extremely happy to finally see so many faces at our games. It's clear that the athletes are loving this point system, but how do the students feel about it? I asked freshman Ivy Mills for her opinion. I was kind of intimidated because my school never had anything like that. We weren't into sports. Um, and I guess I have been to a lot of games now, but I was just worried I wouldn't be able to make it um, with classes and stuff. Mills's concerns about not being able to make games due to the intense class schedule that Northwestern offers has become a common sentiment among students. Sophomore Haley Shama is one of them. Um, and definitely not prioritizing like schoolwork as much as I should in order to like get to as many games as possible. I definitely think that the amount of games I'm going to right now is like increased a lot because of the point system that I'm like only going for the points. Another common concern regarding this point system is whether students are going to these games for the right reasons. Spirit team member Will Kramer doesn't think so. I think what is probably going on is the team's are happy to have the fans there, but then everyone will leave halfway through because they got their points. And it really just shows that it was a performative act. It wasn't really an act of support. But does it matter why fans are there? Or is what matters the fact that they showed up in the first place? According to Hill, fan attendance makes an impact on how the teams play. 100% does, like from the start, what our team feeds on is energy. So from the start when everybody is loud and chaotic and like kind of makes the other team feel a little down, it like we feed off of that momentum and you guys really help us get there. Friedland has also seen the importance of fan support. Soccer's been getting some great turnouts. Field hockey has been getting good turnouts as well. It's really exciting to see people showing out in some of these other sports and supporting these other teams who are also playing really well. I mean, men's and women's soccer were both ranked. Field hockey is a top three team in the country, and it's really cool to see people coming out, supporting these teams, and cheering them on. Although this point system is already making an impact, it is still in its early stages. Some students are unsure about how exactly claiming tickets will go and whether or not the amount of points they've secured will be enough. I think implementing this point system, it's going to have its glitches, and that's what I'm most nervous about. And when there are these technological difficulties, it's like frustrating for us. Um, so I'm really hoping that we'll avoid those. We'll see what happens. But yeah, I, th I think it's a developing system. I think it'll be good in the long term. For WNUR News, I'm Jessica Watts. Moving on to arts and entertainment. The newest season of the hit Netflix show Sex Education just came out, 
and it tackles tough subjects head on. Real life can be a little bit different. Max Milo has the story. The newest season for one of my favorite shows, Sex Education, was recently released on Netflix. Is everything all right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we were just, um, we were doing karate. The teen comedy drama follows the sometimes awkward adventures of high school and college students as they navigate their lives. Everything changes when the son of a sex therapist is convinced to start his own clinic at school, and students start to talk openly about their feelings, bodies, and personal issues in general. It's okay. We don't have to talk about anything you don't want to. Just like in the show, people often have a hard time talking about sexual subjects and opening up, myself included. It got me thinking about the conversations usually surrounding sex and how such conversations change over time. Raised in the Midwest with a Catholic education through grade school and high school. So basically, there was very little true uh, sex education, as we call it today, that was ever even offered. We had nuns and priests. Basically, and I interviewed a woman who taught high school classes in French, world history, and psychology for 30 years. She wished to stay anonymous. There was a short health section with our lay person in my general PE class at high school, but anatomy wise, it was basically never discussed. And the way I learned about the, my own uh, personal female processes and maturation would have been through my Girl Scout or campfire. I needed to delve deeper into the matter, so I turned to an expert on sexuality studies. Hi, I'm Lane Fenrich. I teach um, American history. I also teach um, in gender and sexuality studies. I developed this class, um, Introduction to Sexuality Studies, decade, maybe 12 years ago now. I asked his thoughts on sex education, of which he had seen the first season. What I did like about the show was exactly what you just said, which was the attempt to be non-judgmental and actually affirming. Um, I liked, even though I thought it was unrealistic, right, that the high school kid is giving what I considered very good advice. So I, I did like that, and I, and I liked very much um, that um, just that he actually tried to listen um, to everyone and just take their descriptions at their own terms. I don't think that is very typical, actually. The issues we talked about have always been there. People just haven't felt safe enough to raise them. That's what's changing. Right, I think that representations of sex and sexuality tend to be What's the word that I want? You know, to 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 um, to portray extreme examples or to portray examples in really judgmental ways um, of sex that's dangerous or harmful. Yeah, it also makes sex much more problematic than it is um, for for a lot of people. It just makes sex, um, you know, depending on who you are, right? I mean, if you're not a kind of normatively bodied, normatively gendered, normatively, you know, like hetero person, then your sex is always already weird. 
As said before, sex education attempts to tackle these topics. In an environment where people are striving to normalize conversations previously deemed uncomfortable, this television show provides a safe space for progress. Go check it out. For WNUR News, I'm Max Milo. Up next, juniors discuss their first impressions of living off-campus. Izzy Perea has the story. If you're a sophomore at Northwestern, you might already be considering your living situation for next year. You've taken note of the for sale signs posted on properties around campus, found some potentially compatible roommates, and maybe even started a Pinterest board for inspo. Even with all this, you still can't shake the feeling that you have no idea what you're doing. And that's because you probably don't. The good news is you're far from alone. This uncertainty is a rite of passage for college students looking to live independently for the first time. You might not have it all figured out even after you move in, as many off-campus first-timers are now learning. To make the transition into living independently a little less mysterious, I talked with current juniors Nina Georgieva, Shafi Flenner, Anthony Shea, William Thacker, and Dylan McGarren about their qualms with and tips and tricks for surviving off-campus life. What do you miss most about living on campus? I miss being close to everything and like being able to just like go to the library because it's right there and the food because I have to cook all my own food now and I can't just hit up a dining hall whenever I want. Well, I miss two things. The ready availability of food in the dining halls and also the um, the time it took to walk from place to place. Being forced to be on a meal plan, I guess, I know that's definitely the biggest thing for me. I feel like if I lived in maybe a different place off campus, I would also probably say distance, but my place is like right next to Willard. I think the, the biggest thing is also the, the food. Like I was in Plex, so I could just go downstairs and get lunch or dinner. I wouldn't have to cook anything. That's a lot more work. Being able to just like eat whenever I want, wherever I want with the dining plan. And just like being close to all my classes. <laughs> I guess you get that a lot. It seems like being off a meal plan is one of the bigger adjustments to off-campus living. How do you feel living off-campus has affected your eating habits? I mean, it definitely has a lot, just because I like have full control over the food that I'm eating. So like, I'm eating significantly healthier now, um, and also much less throughout the day, because I can't just like stop in a dining hall for a snack. I just don't eat more than like two meals a day now, because it's really, really hard to cook and then bring it to campus. And I feel like I have an obligation when I get up and I get to campus to get through all my classes and then stay on campus because what normally happens is classes and then club meetings. And I don't really end up getting back to my house until about 8 p.m. at the earliest. And so I end up in this weird situation where I just kind of skip that meal in the middle and just scrounge with chips or something. Honestly, I feel like my eating habits are like pretty much the same. Like I feel like I eat like, you know, three meals a day and like snacks and stuff. Yeah, I don't think it's really changed much. I just eat about the same amount, just maybe just the amount of time that goes into Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your favorite place to buy groceries? Trader Joe's! Because it's cheap AF, and they have really good frozen meals that are, like, ready really fast, and I trust them. Jewel Osco, because there's everything. I like Trader Joe's, and it's right across, so I go there also, but you have to hit Jewel Osco if you want like anything that's normal brand. Probably 
Costco because they tend to have everything I want and uh, for a much cheaper price than a place like Jewel Osco or Trader Joe's or like somewhere else. I saw this man at a Jewel Osco. I didn't want to go there. Probably Trader Joe's, even though I know that's what everyone's gonna say. I just, I love the vibe in there and I feel like the portions are a little bit more appropriate for just one person. I get my groceries at Costco in the city and then I drive because it's way cheaper. <laughs> you can get like a lot at once. Getting groceries is only half the battle when you live off campus. The next challenge is often putting them together to create meals on the go. What's your go-to meal? If I'm in a rush, frozen food. If I am just like, what's my go-to meal? It's penne pasta with arugula and um, pancetta and Alfredo sauce. Healthy choice slash lean cuisines. Just any frozen meal that wasn't too expensive that was like also not bad for you. And then just like chicken, broccoli, pan, oil, spices. An avocado tuna bagel with everything seasoning or a chicken rice, celery, onion uh, concoction that I'd like to make at the beginning of the week. Obviously just like pasta with like whatever sauce you have in the fridge. I also make these like Chinese noodles with chili oil. It's super easy to put together and it's really good. It's f***ing spicy though. For lunch, I had PB&J most days. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy and convenient and it tastes good. Finally, what's your number one tip for students looking to live off campus? Learn how to talk to a landlord, low key. Like, be, keep very, very careful track of like what, like what the condition of everything is when you move in and like don't be afraid to like annoy the out of your landlord. Try and make sure that all of your maintenance stuff is handled before school starts because then you just start putting it off. Don't underestimate the time it takes to cook. Don't underestimate the time it takes to get to your classes. Don't overload your schedule because of that. Or also find a way to get to campus faster. So be it a bike or a scooter or something else or a skateboard. Location has like a huge impact on just sort of like the vibe of where you live Like I feel like if you live closer to Evanston downtown, it's like a cute little like Oh my god, like I'm like a college student in a college town But then if you live on like, I'm sorry, but if you live on noise, like I've been up there before and I'm just like wow I'm like, That's really I'm, I'm 20 and I'm in school and I'm struggling <laughs> Live so it's closer to where you, where you have classes, like I'm living up north so I'm closer to tech so I don't have to walk as much Or get a bike from meal prep to maintenance requests, living off campus certainly comes with its own set of struggles. Despite this, students seem to keep persevering, eventually adapting to whatever challenges off-campus life offers. For WNUR News, this is Izzy Perea. Everyone's favorite pop culture segment is back. Here's Allison Rauch with today's B-List. Welcome to the B-List, your weekly roundup of celebrity mess and pop culture. This week, lots of sports. In Celebrity, former Food Network star Michael Chiarello has died at 61. He was being treated over the past week for an acute allergic reaction that led to anaphylactic shock. He was widely credited for popularizing regional cuisine from Italy's Calabria region in the United States. It's been relatively quiet for celebrity couples since Travis and Taylor, but Gigi Hadid and Bradley Cooper were spotted together this weekend. They were seemingly returning from a weekend getaway. In sports, the Las Vegas Aces beat the New York Liberty 99-82 yesterday, wrapping up Game 1 of the WNBA Finals. Chelsea Gray, Kelsey Plum, and Jackie Young in particular helped lead the team to victory. 
The showdown continues this Wednesday at 8 p.m. CST. Another week of NFL football brought some surprises. The near-dead Cincinnati Bengals bounced back yesterday to clinch a 34-20 win over the Arizona Cardinals. Quarterback Joe Burrow looked the best he's been since his calf injury in July, and wide receiver Jamar Chase completed 15 receptions, a franchise record. The greatest show on surf returns. The Miami Dolphins bested the New York Giants 31-16 yesterday. Devon Achan, Tyreek Hill, and Tua Tagovailoa were standouts. Giants cornerback Jason Pinnock returned an interception 102 yards for their only touchdown, and Giants quarterback Daniel Jones left in the fourth quarter with a neck injury. Cowboys' last rodeo. The San Francisco 49ers dominated the Dallas Cowboys in a critical game last night. Quarterback Brock Purdy and tight end George Kittle simply outplayed Dallas's Dak Prescott. That's all for the B-List this week. Check in next Monday to hear about what happens this week in pop culture. For WNUR News, I'm Allison Rauch. A look at the weather for tonight. It is currently 55 and sunny, but temperatures will be dropping to the high 40s overnight. Say goodbye to the sun as the rest of the week will be cloudy and rainy throughout the weekend. Taking a look into the headlines. Northwestern football had a narrow victory against Howard University in Saturday's game. The Wildcats dominated the first half of the game, but Howard made a fierce second-half comeback. Ultimately, it wasn't enough, and the Wildcats took the W with a score of 20-23. to ASG Senate election was held over the weekend and saw heightened participation with approximately 35% higher turnout than last year, and more than triple last year's record low turnout for ASG presidential election. Early Saturday, Palestinian militant group Hamas launched a large-scale attack on Israel from the Gaza Strip. About 1,600 lives have been lost on both sides, and an unknown number of Israelis have been taken hostage. Israel formally declared war against Hamas on Sunday and increased airstrikes on the Gaza Strip, sealing off the area from food, fuel, and other supplies. Hamas also escalated on Monday, pledging to kill captured Israelis if attacks target civilians without warnings. In the war's third day, Israel was still finding bodies from Hamas's weekend attack into southern Israeli towns. Israel's prime minister has also vowed to destroy the militants' military and governing capabilities. This story is still developing, and we will keep you updated as it progresses. That's all for WNUR News at 6 p.m. For more news updates and reports, follow us on Twitter at WNUR News. You can listen to these and other WNUR News stories on our website, WNURnews.org. That's WNURnews.org. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our producer today is Brandon Condricks, and our reporters are Max Milo, Izzy Perea, and me, Jessica Watts. From all of us here at WNUR News, thanks for listening. I'm Jessica Watts. Catch our next newscast on Wednesday, October 11th at 6 p.m. Now, back to scheduled programming.